welcome to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. James is still recovering from writing about the 84 new gravel products SRAM released this week, and so has handed the mic to me. Hi, I'm Dave Rome. Our special guest for this week's deep dive episode works for a company you most likely haven't heard of, and yet what they do could very well have been an instrumental part of what you ride. Ben Lloyd is a research and development specialist at Signet TechSkimp Limited. D- Dave, I'm, I'm still here. Like it's, it's not like what? I'm buried under. I'm still here. It's not like I'm oh. buried under a mountain of gravel stuff here. Oh, sorry, James. I oh, didn't uh-huh. see you there. <laughs> ben, welcome to Nerd Alert. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us what it is exactly that your company does? Yeah, so um, we're effectively a machinery manufacturer for the composites industry. So we make the machinery that handles fibers. Um, it can be glass fibers, carbon fibers, Kevlar fibers, even down to tire cord fibers. Um, so pretty much any uh, bike with carbon fiber in it has probably touched one of our machines at some point. Um, yeah, in the process, whether that's uh, a pan precursor line that makes um, the carbon um, part of the carbon fiber, or it's um, a prepreg line where we apply the resin to the fibers, or just a weaving line where we handle the fiber into the um, woven cloth that then goes into the bike. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's about it, really. Okay. And what do you do with them? Uh, so I am, my job title is research and development specialist, um, and I deal with our thermoplastic research and development. So primarily working on making thermoplastic prepregs um, to replace thermoset prepregs in the future. So in other words, you are ideally situated for the topic that we are discussing today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> You've worked a little bit in the bike industry before, um, perhaps working on some secret projects at the moment. Uh, are there any any cycling related projects that you you've done that you are allowed to discuss? Um, so my, I worked for a UK company called Reap, who manufactured um, a beam bike triathlon bike in the UK. Um, so that's that was completely designed and manufactured in Stoke on Trent in the Midlands, um, and they now make a road bike as well. Um, in my previous life. Um, but at the moment, uh, we've got some stuff in the pipeline that's bike related, but I can't talk about it, unfortunately. Um, it's mainly to do with materials um, at the OEM side rather than specific bike component manufacture okay. at this time being. But there is um, some stuff related to uh, thermoplastic tapes uh, and thermoplastic monofilament for 3D printers and stuff like that. With a so that's continuous carbon fiber mon, monofilament. Okay, you're you're talking about uh, monofilaments and uh, pan and all, all these technical terms. So I might get you to to explain a few of these. Um, yeah, no worries. These are a bit of a glossary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've got carbon manufacturing in bicycles. There's there's some common methods being used in the industry. Uh, what would you say are sort of the most common methods that you'd see, say, for a bicycle frame coming out of Asia? So bicycle frames made in Asia will generally be um, hand-laid into a two-part monocoque mold. So you have a clamshell mold that uh, the two with the machine profile of half a bike in, 
and then pre-cut pieces of carbon that will be cut using a drag knife table will then be placed into the mold according to a layup schedule and then they'll be inflated with an internal bladder or a silicon um, coated uh, poly, uh, polystyrene um, preform mold that will get dropped in and then that will apply the pressure. But it, the process has been broadly the same since the 90s for that. Um, and that's how 90% of the bikes that are carbon fiber are made at the moment. Yeah, we're still not really all that far off from a Kestrel EMS from the <laughs> no. yeah, from, from ages ago. And are there any other methods that uh, you've seen, I guess, being used commonly? The next probably most common would be the sort of, and slightly more old fashioned, would be the tube to tube filament wound and then bonded and overwrapped or like some of the guys um, down in Australia who name escapes me now. Probably but they're Bastion. Using 3D printed lug- yes, yeah. Bastion. I'm yeah. using 3D printed lugs. Um, but yeah, filament wound tubes are sort of, sort of semi-automated manufacture there where you're taking automatically made components and bonding them together um, to make it by hand to make a bike. How, how labor intensive are some of these processes? So it can take anywhere from depending on how complex the layup is. So the, the higher end the bike, generally the more complicated the layup will be because more uh, time will be put into the manufacture or the, the design, sorry, of the layup originally. Um, so you get more complex fiber angles. So that's more complicated to lay up. But that can be anywhere from six to 20 hours to lay up a frame in a production setting. It can be uh, up to... 48 hours to 50 hours for prototype manufacture where you're having to be really careful. And that's some long days doing that. Which again, goes a long way toward explaining the, the, the very high costs of a lot of these uh, traditionally manufactured composite frames. Yeah, yeah, especially from some of the smaller manufacturers where you're having to pay premium labor rates. Um, and then some manufacturers, I think specialized in BMC off the top of my head, you guys will probably know better than me on this, are using AFP to, instead of having pre-cut carbon sheets, they're using a robot head that will lay tape down into the, into the shape of the material they need and having only the material they want. I think they're doing that for the Athos. That's why it's so light, if I remember rightly. Possible the giant TCR um, advanced SL is, is using... I know they're assembled with robots. I don't know. Yeah, it could, yeah it's, it could potentially be done like that. I've seen it being, I've heard it talked about for bikes, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know who's doing it specifically off the top of my head. Okay, that was, that was kind of my next question, which is uh, for a process that's so labor intensive and, and you're dealing in uh, machinery that's, uh, I guess in some cases, trying to automate these processes, what's, what are these machines, uh, you know, what's the next stage in this? How, how automated are these process, processes going to become? So I think the next step will be um, effectively automatically manufactured preforms. So whether that's wound around a mandrel that is then expanded. Um, so rather than laying up by hand over the foam former um, and then dropping that into the mold, you'll wind or have a robot laying the tape onto that mandrel. Um, and then that will then be, that can be churned out. 24 hours a day by the robot and then that'll be hand loaded into the mold or it could be automatically loaded into the mold um but that will be sections i would say so tubes are obviously very easy to do automated long profiles are 
you can wind them, you can lay tape for them. Um, and then, yeah, you could wind a, wind a preform and then drop that into a mold where you've got the tube junction still hand laid. And that would take a big chunk of your labor out, um, which we would then potentially reduce cost. Interesting. Okay. And, and when that, that filament or that, that fiber is that, uh, pre impregnated, is it, what's, what, how is that being used? I guess what's, what's the process there? So those, those automated manufacturing processes, so winding or tape laying for preforms over a mandrel, that will be, um, pre impregnated toe preg or slit tape. Is how we describe it. So it, you take you either take a big wide sheet of your UD material off your production line, and then slit that down into narrower, say five or ten mil wide tapes. And then those tapes are loaded into a winding machine. That will then wind those tapes around that former, or it'll be a, ro a robotic head that will then lay the tape down the robotic former, chop it, and however you want it, which is a bit cool to watch but it does broadly the same thing. Um, <laughs> but you could also use that to lay, like we said earlier with, you could, you could use those on a flat profile um, with the robotic tape laying head to put down a fiber exactly where you want it. And then you drop that preform into the mold the same way you would drop a cut piece of woven cloth into the mold. Right. And I guess just to recap for people who aren't familiar with this process, I mean, earlier, Ben, you were talking about how traditional monocoque frames are made and how you know, pieces of fiber that are pre-cut are pan placed into the mold and then you know you put the you put your your preformed or your uh, your bladder or your you know polystyrene or whatever section in there to uh, to apply the pressure and then you shut the whole thing heat it up so on and so forth um the preforms that that ben is talking about essentially you have almost kind of like Imagine you filled up the inside of like a seat cluster area with foam and you pulled that out and then you had that as something to wrap around and you, then you would take pieces of carbon fiber and wrap sections around that bit of sort of interior of your frame and then that section gets placed into the mold. Yeah, exactly. And the, the same with the tube profiles. So the, the complicated areas of the frames, the seat cluster, the bottom bracket cluster, the headset junctions they they do take a while to lay up, but they're quite small areas of the frame. But because they're fiddly, I think hand lay there would still be applicable for people who are looking to automate. Whereas the tube profiles, they take just they take a they're a lot larger area of the frame, so they take longer to lay up. So if you can automate the simple parts and do the complicated parts by hand still, um, you'd still save a lot of time and then a lot of cost potentially. Okay. The vast majority of carbon composite products in cycling are made as thermosets. Uh, can you explain what that means? <laughs> yeah, so you have uh, generally you have two different types of resins or plastics, thermosets and thermoplastics. Thermoset is set with heat, basically. Um, once they are, they'll be liquid or um, very viscous liquid until the point where the cure temperature is achieved and then the all the chemicals um, will cross-link um, and then it'll become a crystalline structure and be very, very rigid plastic. Like the, um, the best example of it is epoxy in the carbon fiber frames. And that's generally the, therm the thermoset resin that will be used in all frames um, because it's it's got good temperature resistance, good um, or good enough at the moment 
impact resistance, but I think we all know that carbon fiber bikes don't generally have the best <laughs> reputation for impact resistance. Um, but epoxy is good compared to vinyl ester or polyester resins, which would generally be for bigger industrial applications. And then thermoplastics are, are your normal everyday plastics. When you think of uh, PPS or nylon um, or PPE and various others that generally like your, your kettle's made from, your plastic bottle is made from, um, or not made from anymore as plastic bottles are fairly faux pas. Um, <laughs> but yeah, disposable everyday plastics are generally thermoplastics and they're remeltable. Mm. Okay, uh, you, you've introduced the, the next question and where I guess the, the broader conversation is going to go here, which is uh, we actually came across you. You left a comment on an article uh, that we'd done about Revel Bikes' uh, new carbon composite gravel rims, which uh, they're using thermoplastics uh, to bind the carbon fibers versus a, a more common thermoset approach. On paper, thermoplastics seem to be a true disruptor to thermosets and uh, beginning to enter the cycling market. What are the benefits to thermoplastics? So thermoplastics have a much, much better impact resistance than thermosets do because they're generally more flexible because, um, yeah, that remeltability, if that's a word, um, the, the, yeah, the, the chemical structure of the material allows them to absorb more um, energy. Um, under impact than the, the highly crystalline structure you have in the thermoset material generally. Um, so to make thermosets impact resistance, they have to add um, like microscopic rubber granules to the resin. Um, so if you see toughened resin listed anywhere in a product spec sheet in the bike industry, it will generally be a rubber additive to the epoxy to make it absorb more energy. Uh, but thermoplastics would generally do that naturally anyway. Um, so things like uh, mountain bike frames with Gorilla Gravity doing something quite cool that's under patent pending. So I haven't been able to look at that patent document yet to find out what they're doing, but it looks pretty cool whatever they are doing. Um, I believe it does involve AFP somewhere along the line. Um, and then Revel with their rims, obviously mountain bike rims, it's a perfect application for it's it. It'll be lighter than an aluminium rim and much more impact resistant than a thermoset epoxy carbon rim. Um, and I guess that's why they're looking at it from that perspective at the moment. And what about, what about cost and, and the manufacturing side of things? Are there benefits there? I would say setup costs at the moment for making something out of thermoplastic are much higher because it's a less mature process. So it should be on paper cheaper, but it might not be cheaper at the moment. All right. So if you're doing large volumes, yes, it does make a lot more sense. Say you want to make a city e-bike or something like that. Like we had the Boris bikes here in London, um, which are made by Da Vinci, I think, bizarrely. Um, but if you wanted to make a lighter version of that out of carbon fiber, for instance, and you wanted to be really tough, like a nylon carbon um, with a low grade of carbon fiber would be really, really tough, a lot lighter than the um, heavy gauge steel they're made from uh, and it'll yeah be able to survive years of abuse in a, on a city rental scheme something like that would be a really good application i feel like the benefits of thermoplastics are are fairly clear-cut as far as why people are are looking to use them now but why if thermoplastics aren't new um so 
you know, I, I, I know back in the Schwinn days, uh, they used to use a lot of thermoplastic stuff for like their, uh, like their project underground frame. And they, uh, Scott used thermoplastics for handlebars, stuff like that. Um, or wheels. Yeah. <laughs> back yeah. in the 80s as well. They're, thermo- they're, they're not, they were fiber, in, they were glass fiber reinforced, but it's the same concept really. So thermoplastics aren't necessarily new, but they are a lot better now, I assume, than what they used to be because they didn't used to be that good. No, so a lot of that is down to the basically the aerospace industry looking at it because they're recyclable. They have to think about end of life for these huge composite structures. So you can't in a, a big thermoset epoxy wing that isn't going to ever degrade is a takes up a lot of space in landfill, uh, and it's a lot of wasted energy and material cost and everything. So if you can repurpose that, one, it's cheaper for the air. Probably that's why they're doing it. It's cheaper for the aerospace manufacturers because they can sell that waste material on to be remanufactured into new new products. Um, that's that's the main driver behind it. Um, is yeah, end of life for aerospace products at the moment. Um, so companies are putting money into investing in it because people are willing to pay for the products now, which they weren't um, ten years ago. So what are the what are the negatives of thermoplastics though? Because I mean, my understanding is that thermosets still make for a lighter product, right? Yes, generally, because they have to be automated, uh, manufacture wise at the moment. You ha- you end up with processes that have higher resin volumes within the prepreg. So typically a Thermoset prepreg would have 60 to 70% fiber in it. Um, and then the other 30% is the resin. Whereas thermoplastics would generally be 40 to 50% um, plastic and then, or resin. And then, yeah, 50 to 60% um, fiber. So there's, there's more resin in the, the structure effectively um, because they don't, they're not sticky. Really, as soon as it comes off the production line, the material is a finished material, whereas a thermoset is a is still a tacky material that can be placed into the mold by hand. Um, you have to allow more resin within the thermoplastic to allow the layers to stick together better effectively is the simplest way to describe it, um, which means you need more resin in the structure, which leads to a heavier product at the moment. Um, because again, it's not that mature a process. Okay. And, and presumably when you're starting out with more of the thermoplastic resin, I mean, there are, I would imagine there are limits to how much of that can be squeezed out during the molding process, right? Yes, because it's, it's effectively much more viscous. Um, you think it's, it's, if you melt plastic, it's as thick as that. If you melt a plastic bottle over a cigarette lighter, um, Whereas the resins, the sorry, the thermoset resins will be specifically designed to have very, very low viscosity um, just before they melt their um, cure temperatures. So they're really liquid and they, they disperse through the structure very, very well. Um, but they, there's been millions and millions of well, pounds or dollars spent on developing those. And that is just starting to happen with them plastics we're seeing. There are more and more being developed to help with um, that melt um, profile. But at the moment, we're stuck with polymers that were designed for injection molding, effectively, where you've got massively high pressures and viscosity doesn't really matter. Okay. 
So essentially, I guess what we have here is we have an industry that has been predominantly using thermosets for decades now, um, but it's a very, very labor-intensive process. And while the price of labor in a lot of Asian countries is still lower than a lot of uh, European or North American countries, South American, that sort of thing, um, labor costs are going up uh, a lot, especially in Taiwan, certainly in China. And I know the industry now is looking at ways of reducing labor costs in general. Uh, we are, we're seeing companies moving to, um, you know, like Vietnam and that sort of thing. Um, but with these thermoplastics, you're saying that we do have potentially a way of increasing the automation. Is that where you see the, the future of composite structures going in the bicycle world? Just automation in general? Yeah, I think so. Um especially for things like rims and the simpler profiles, handlebars uh, or smaller smaller products, which are carbon fiber, so saddle bases, brake levers, all that kind of stuff could be very, very easily automated um, compared to the frames. Frames are actually quite a complicated structure from a composite point of view um, because there's so many tube junctions and the, there's not a consistent um, force profile through them. Um, if you think of someone pedaling on a bike out the saddle, like there's forces coming in from all kinds of angles and everything. It's not as simple as a um, like a wing spar or some or a uh, car suspension strut or something like that, where the forces are directed in a specific way by the structure. Um, I, sorry, I, I kind of lost my way with what I was saying there. No, I was I was asking I was asking if automation is basically where everything is going for the the carbon fiber world in, in bikes. Yeah, so I think there'll be we'll see a a slower adoption of it in the bike industry maybe than the automotive and the aviation industries because it's very it's very very weight focused um, and like we said, thermoset bikes are lighter at the moment. Um, I believe they'll be able to make them as light in the future. Um, but that's probably a few years down the line at the moment. But it would it would allow um, products to be made twenty four hours a day um, by the machinery if you can leave it running um, with if it's automated, because you don't have the cure times are much shorter as well with thermoplastics because it's all you're effectively just melting and freezing a material that has a melt and freeze point at. 200 to 400 degrees so it freezes readily at room temperature um so you'll end up with being able to have much much shorter cure times which means your machine can automate that process whereas if you're leaving things in an oven for 8 to 24 hours then you can't really automate that as easily because you've got a plan when you have things in ovens and things and that requires people on, on the weight side, one of the benefits that Revel was claiming was that the thermoplastics, the impact resistance of it, uh, in theory lets them, they're not really using it at this point, but in theory would let them produce a lighter weight rim because it's more impact resistant or, or better at, uh, at uh, withstanding impact than a, a thermoset. What's, what's your take on that? Is, is there a reality to that, that certain products could be made lighter with this technology? Yeah, so anything where you have to add extra material at the moment to increase its um, impact resistance, um, then yeah, if you have a more impact resistant material, 
you require less of it to re to it to resist the same force. So, a, a, yeah, like a tougher material in a rim would allow you to use less carbon in the rim, which would reduce the weight of it. Um, and the same with like a, a down tube of a mountain bike, where they have four or five mil thick carbon plate to to resist rock strike. You wouldn't need that if the material is slightly more flexible and can resist um, and shrug off those impacts a lot better. The you mentioned about the automated process. Um with uh, thermosets and again going back to Revel because it's one of the few sorry with thermoplastics going back to Revel you uh, and I don't mean to keep harping on about them but they're one of the few companies uh, really promoting and pushing uh, thermoplastics in in the cycling industry at this at this point in time and they're very open about it and it's, it's truly it's it's a it's a feature for them right they they made a big deal about the what you were saying before with the cure time they're, they're talking about like 30 seconds kind of to to cure a product or a minute almost to cure a product versus the hours taken with a thermoset yeah that'll be because so thermoplastics like i said they have a um they melt and freeze like water is the easiest way to describe it but the melt and freeze points aren't zero degrees they are um, 200 degrees for some of your nylons up to your sort of engineered polymers like peak where they are 400 degrees and we're talking celsius here yeah so yeah celsius yeah <laughs> is that like a million um, in fahrenheit yeah well yeah. <laughs> I, I i can i can see someone i can see someone who's used to thinking in fahrenheit thinking oh like my 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 carbon fiber my thermoplastic carbon fiber bicycle products might might soften at 200 degrees. I should maybe like not leave this in my super hot car or something like that. No, no. So they're 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 much more temperature resistant than thermosets. So thermosets, your really high temperature stuff, which they're using brake tracks and things like that, will go up to 220 to 260 Celsius. Um, whereas, yeah, thermoplastics, you can have um, peak, which will resist up or be stable up to 300 degrees C. So we're talking cure times being uh, way, way, way quicker. Uh, what about the stage before that? What about the layup? Uh, do you think that someone like Revel is automating that process? What What would the machinery look like there? So you you would have to auto, uh, currently. My understanding of thermoplastic manufacture in the composites industry is that generally you have to automate the process because because it's effectively a finished material as it comes out of the the line you have a you have a sheet of carbon fiber with a set material over it the same way you have a if you cured a sheet of thermoset material you would have a rigid like sheet of material um so that is hard to process by hand because it doesn't stick to the mold like a traditional thermoset prepreg would so you have to have um you'll have to either stack the fibers with an uh, automated fiber placement or automated tape laying head on a robot um, and then drop that preform into a mold so you'd lay sh strips of the material down next to each other in the laminate that you wanted and then drop that into the mold or you would wind those tapes around a mandrel and then you would have a finished part that looked like the mandrel inside and then the mandrel would presumably be melted out with a solvent that wouldn't attack the material um, and then because you can you'll you'll hear people talking about welding thermoplastics um, effectively just melting the polymer into the polymer of another part um, and that can be done very very quickly 
So you can build frames from nodes of like tube junctions and tubes quite quickly in an automated way there, um, which is tr traditionally they'd be bonded with a secondary epoxy. Um, and I think Trek make their frames like that, where they can sort of jigsaw it together quite quickly um, and then bond it all together. So you wouldn't need to bond it. The polymer can just be welded um, together in that instance. Um, ben, I want to I want to see if we can get a look into your crystal ball a little bit in a sense here. Um, it does sound like thermoplastics have an awful lot of potential moving forward, and it does sound like there's a lot of interest in switching to thermoplastics for a variety of reasons: um, cost, impact, resistance, that sort of thing. Do you have a sense as to how far off into the future thermoplastics uh, will be? you know, kind of be more the majority of products out in the socking world as opposed to just sort of the exception? It depends how governments um, deal with recyclability of composites in the future. So if products have to be made to have an end-of-life um, plan within them, then it'll be a lot faster. But uh, we'll, over the next five years, I think we'll start to see a lot more especially if technology is licensed. Um, I know Gorilla Gravity have a secondary company called Revved Carbon, which they've set up to license their manufacturing technology for their frames to other industries. Um, and I don't know who Revel are working with to make their rims off the top of my head. Um, but the technology they're using to make the rims um, could be used to manufacture other companies' rims yeah, I'm struggling to remember the name with Revel, but they are they are having their rims manufactured by a by a third party who are specializing in bicycle rims, thermoplastic bicycle rims in the US. It's just Revel's first in the door with them. Yeah, so really it it'll be how and it's consumer demand really. If people want recyclable products, um I know that there was a lot of backlash against um what the people are calling ocean fill, um where carbon fiber waste has been dumped. Um, because there's no real easy way to get rid of it. Um, and then at saying aluminium was a lot more environmentally friendly, but costs of aluminium and steel are going up um, at the moment. So we could see the point where industrial grade carbon fiber and thermoplastics become cheaper to manufacture um, budget, in inverted commas, budget bikes from than metals. And I think that will be the point where we start to see um, more and more of them being done yeah, interesting. in that manner. The, the, the recyclability is, a, is a, I guess, a big topic and something I was pretty keen to dig into. Like, can, you, can you explain what would be the process for, I guess, melting down or repurposing a thermoset product? Sure. So a thermoset product, you'd have to either acid digest or burn off the resin from the material so you have if you have waste material from manufacture where you still have soft uncured resin in the prepreg you would then you'd basically dip that in a big bath of solvent um and then that would dissolve all the resin and then you've got really horrible contaminated solvent to get rid of um which is probably harder to get rid of than the epoxy in the first place or you with a cured um part so a part that part hasn't passed qc or a damaged product you would effectively use a big pressure cooker, um, heat it up really hot, and then just burn all of the epoxy off 
the material um, in the same way effectively charcoal is manufactured in, in a um, reduced oxygen environment. Um, and then that would allow you to have your carbon fiber left without any epoxy on it because it's all been burnt off. And then those that fiber will then be chopped up um, and then the short fibers can be reused for making thicker um, press molded products generally. They'll have thermoset resin added back into that fiber and effectively a, a thick sheet, they call it sheet molding compound. Um, it's basically a big thick paste of resin and short strand carbon fiber that will then be used to make. Um, it's being used in some car panel work and things like that at the moment. But again, that's not recyclable once it's done. Yeah. Okay. And that's like a forged carbon is what some, some brands might refer to it as, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. That's produced under crazy amounts of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, the, and then that brings us to thermoplastics. Like what's the process there for re recycling? It's a, it's a much happier story, right? Uh, yeah, generally, um, effectively, depending on the polymer here, you just melt the polymer out. You heat it up to the melt point um, and you can remove the polymer from the fibers. You can't keep the fibers in their current state, though. So you couldn't get a frame which you've broken and then effectively melt all the polymer out, give give it back to someone, they melt all the polymer out, put the fibers back in the molds and put the resin back in. It doesn't work quite like that, unfortunately. Um, so the way the fibers are manufactured, you have a continuous process um, that makes very, very long sheets of material. Like a roller material could have five or six kilometers of fiber on it. Um, and then that gets um, cut down into the rolls that get shipped out to the manufacturers. And at every process, the, these, the fibers get shorter and shorter and shorter. So um, generally, like an engineered product, I'll call it, like a, in a bicycle frame, will have long fibers that run the length of the down tube, the length of the top tube, the length of the seat tube. Um, that gives it stiffness. And then that will, those fibers will then, once the polymer has been melted out, those fibers will then be um, chopped up into shorter fibers, probably one to two inches long, 25 to 50 millimeters. Um, and then those can be loaded. Those will be um, effectively like a chop strand mat, like you make, like an, if you made a canoe or anything like that, or repaired a surfboard, the kind of material you'd use for that can then be used to make uh, panels for the automotive industry so you can make a bonnet panel out of that because it the carbon's stiff enough in that form to hold its shape and that's all that panel has to do or a saddle for instance it's the same thing as long as it's stiff enough to hold your body weight a nylon most saddle bodies are nylon anyway so a, a nylon with carbon fiber short strands in there will be much stiffer and lighter than without them in there and it is still a carbon fiber saddle right so basically applications where you would want some of the properties of carbon fiber, but you don't necessarily need like the maximum properties of carbon fiber. Yeah, exactly. So is the difference between carbon fibers or composites and metallics are metallics are isotropic. So they perform, they behave the same way in every direction you apply a force to it. Whereas um, generally composites don't because you've got that fiber direction. So they're strong in the direction of the fiber. So if you don't need something that's strong in any particular direction, say a saddle or a brake lever and you can just um use that uh or use it to its advantage of having 
basically a we call it quasi isotropic where it's effectively the same strength in every direction because the fiber is randomly distributed throughout it it's not as strong in any direction as a traditional composite would be but it's probably nearly as strong as a metallic product would be and that is generally strong enough for loads of applications in the bike industry or outside of the bike industry okay what about um you briefly touched on 3d printing and where where composites are going for that um is 3d printing certainly seems to be growing in popularity quite a bit as the the cost of the machinery come down as the as kind of people's understanding of it in general goes up um is 3d printing something that we you know we keep kind of coming back to 3d printing kind of in general society i feel like is sort of this thing that we've seen in like science fiction movies and stuff and like oh i can go ahead and print a i don't know like i can, I can go ahead and print a new coffee machine i can go ahead and print a kidney i can go like yeah. kind of print whatever star trek style um is there a point I, I guess what is keeping 3d printing from being able to feasibly create something as complicated as a rim or a frame or something like that effectively it's rate at the moment that it's just not quick enough to be viable you could you could manufacture those products out of it um the generally the the quality won't be quite as good because you have no surface molds to control your surface finish or your dimension control will be slightly worse but you could make a rideable rim with a 3d printer with um carbon fiber strands running through it there's um i don't know if you if you caught the news of the the new custom shoe out of the u.s from a company called i did see that it's interesting isn't it (laughs) Nineteen nineteen hundred dollar shoe, um, which is what people remember it by. Uh, <laughs> that's that shoe is claiming to use three um, D printed carbon fiber. Do you have any idea what that might look like? So yeah, so either you can have there's two ways two ways to skin the cat with that really. Either you have like we talked about before the short fibers within the filament. So you have when they've made the filament, they've got a big hopper full of nylon or peak and then they've got very short strands of carbon fiber within that that then will be extruded out the 3d printer with the material and then you'll have it'll be stiffer than nylon or peak or pps or whatever polymer you choose but it won't be as stiff as a um, continuous fiber and the other way to do it would be to use a continuous fiber filament um, where you have Effectively, it's just a very, very, very narrow pre-brag tape, or um, and it's it's run through um, a whatever profile you need the the tape to be. Um, in the same manner, we would make a regular pre-brag tape, really, um, and that way you you could have continuous fiber running throughout your structure, um, depending on how many axes your 3d printer has is how complicated your part can be made there the same way with machining is yeah interesting okay and that the the latter technology there is quite new would you say or is it has it been around for a while it's it's pretty it's pretty yeah pretty new that one we haven't i haven't seen many people doing it it's it's out there um and it's for a few universities have got demonstration machines and things like that and it 
there are a few people using it in industry, but it's more as demonstrations of what they can do waiting for a partner to come on board and spend the money to do it properly, as it were. <laughs> okay. Is that something Signet uh, TextKimp is invested in? I, I think I saw something about it on your on the company website. Is that is that a product that you guys are, are producing or researching? Yeah, so we have... Um, We've been developing our thermoplastic lines to sit alongside our thermoset prepreg lines. So at the moment, that'll make that can make tape um, up to 600 mil wide sheets of that, which will be then slit down and used for whatever purpose the um, consumer wants the, to use it for. In the same manner, you would use a regular prepreg, um, but that same technology can be used to make um, very narrow form prepregs as well which could then be used in machinery um, if you're laying tapes or filament um, on top of each other. How narrow are we talking? Uh, so we, uh, wh- however narrow you want to slit it down to generally, generally wow. five mil um, is the narrowest you'll see for ATL, so automatic tape laying heads, um, because it just takes ages to lay up any other parts if it's, if it's much narrower than that. Okay. Um, but yeah, people have asked for narrower as well. Right. I would like to lay up a carbon fiber hood with tape that is one mil wide. How long? That, that would take a very long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or, or a wing panel or something. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, last and maybe the most important question of this entire episode. At what point am I going to be able to buy myself a carbon 3D printer so I can make my own thermoplastic carbon fiber parts at home on my workbench? I mean, you can buy carbon fiber filled filament for three, home 3D printers now, but it's that the earlier type I described where it's short fiber, um, carbon fiber reinforced nylon generally, um, which, yeah, you can make structural parts out of that today if you have a printer that can handle the fiber. And some of the, even some of the eBay printers now can handle that. Our, our colleague I'd at say, Pinkbike has been making some with his. Yeah, he's been making, um, he's pedals. Been making pedals. Yeah, Brian yeah. Park at Pinkbike. So. Um, but I, I would say two to three years generally, we'll start to see more people coming out with um, a like, long, long fiber 3D printers. Ben, I guess we're having some technical difficulties here. I guess we will just uh, we'll, we'll just say thanks again for being on the show. Hopefully, your track is being uh, recorded locally. But if not, we'll have an awkward an awkward exit to this episode. <laughs> well, it looks like we have perhaps exceeded the total daily bandwidth of Signet Text Camp's uh, internet account here. So we may have lost Ben at the very end of that. But thanks again to Ben Lloyd. For taking the time to explain to us about the future of carbon fiber manufacturing. Thanks as always for listening to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please go ahead and tell your friends about the Nerd Alert podcast because we want more people to listen to this show. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so on whatever platform you use to get all your podcasts. Uh, if you haven't already become a Velo Club member, please do that as well because it does directly support us and does let us do more things like this because as you have noticed, we had no ads on this show and it's not because people haven't asked to advertise, it's because we've elected to keep Nerd Alert ad-free, so keep that in mind. And with that, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Nerd Alert podcast for this deep dive episode and we will see you next week with the regular group show. See ya! See ya!